Our Father, as we come before Your throne of grace and mercy this morning, we thank You so much for the time that You have given us to worship You today. We thank You for those who have come out and for those who are unable to be here today for whatever the situation in their life or or a problem, uh, medical need, or, or whatever the... Uh, circumstances, we pray that you would be ever near unto them. Father, we thank you for the ability today that you have given us by the gifts of the Spirit to be able to teach the Word of God. We thank you, our, our Father, for our son today who is <coughs> beginning ministry at the First Baptist Church in McConnell. We pray you would be unto him very near and help him to be able to do thy will in that way. Now, Father, we're asking if there'd be anybody here today that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ and the full pardon of, of sin that they might realize their need and they might accept him into their life. For all of us who know Christ today, we pray that we would apply this lesson to our lives and that we might not be uh, Neglectful in thinking that we're not supernatural because when we get saved, the Spirit of God comes into our life and we become a supernatural person. We do not live the way we did before when we were in the world and lost, but we become a new creature in Christ, as we'll learn today. And you have given us some really wonderful... <coughs> Points on how to continue to live a spiritual life, a supernatural life. And help us, Lord, to use these things in our lives that we might please Thee as we live each day. May Christ be honored with our life. Forgive us of our sin and shortcoming, our Father, and help us now be filled with Your Spirit and teach Your Word to please Thee. And for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Living supernaturally. We hear a lot about the supernatural from Hollywood, from the movies, and from TV shows. We sometimes stand in awe of human performances. I had a, a student last year, matter of fact, he was the principal's son, uh, Will Stanley, and his dad was riding a, uh, a lawnmower and uh, they live on a hill there in Buskirk edition in Logan. And he got too close to the edge. And and Will Stanley's dad, Bill Stanley, he, the uh, uh, lawnmower rolled down the hill and, and landed on top of him. And Will ran down and supernaturally, because he wouldn't have been able to do this any other way, the adrenaline must have ran into his body in such a way he lifted that lawnmower that laid hundreds of pounds off his dad and probably saved his life. And, and so these things we hear about in life, nevertheless, God says that believers can live a supernatural life. So we turn to the 10th chapter of our current study in Nehemiah, and we see how this is possible, and there are four different areas that we can commit our lives to that God says will help us to be 
supernatural in our daily lives. So let us look at the first step in living a supernatural life for God. It's found in chapter 1 or chapter 10 verses 1 through 27 and I'm not going to even try to attempt to enunciate all those names but notice the first one was Nehemiah. So Nehemiah and 83 other individuals they came together and they agreed to live supernaturally. And how did they do this? Well, let's look at the first one. In chapter 10, we're going to read verse number 28. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, and the hewers of wood, the servants, and all they who had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. They did cleave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a uh, curse and unto a oath to walk in, the, in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God, his origin, or, or his statutes and his ordinances. And so walking in the law of God, they all agreed that they would walk in the law of God. And you know, as Christians, it's so much easier in the New Testament to live by the Word of God than it was in the Old Testament because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit living in us. But these people, 84 of them, they signed an agreement that they would walk in the law of God. Let us see what Paul says about Christians in Colossians as he wrote to the church at Colossae, chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with, with grace in the hearts to the Lord. And so we are to walk in the Word of Christ daily. We are to use the Word of God to help us in our daily life. Let it be drawn to our memory as the Spirit of God lives in us and so we're looking in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. And how does this happen? And he, he says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to, here it is, according to what? To the power that worketh in us. Did you know you have a power? that works in you as a Christian, He is God, the Holy Spirit. When you got saved and you said, Dear Lord Jesus, come into my life and save me, instantly the Holy Spirit of God flooded into your soul and He made you a new creature in Christ. And from that point on, 
the, Jesus said to his disciples that, that the Holy Spirit would bring to their remembrance the things they needed to, to have in daily life to be able to live for Christ. And so as we walk daily in this world, we should walk in the Scripture, in the law of God. You see, in that day, Nehemiah's day, all they had was the Old Testament law. Uh, They had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They called it the Book of Moses at that time. Now we have 66 books plus the Holy Spirit to help us in our daily life. In Old Testament, it was commanded to obey the Word of God. What factor in the New Testament gives the believer keen desire to obey the Word of God? And of course the answer is, we already told you, the Holy Spirit. Underline the Holy Spirit. And therefore, if any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, you become a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And that is only because the Holy Spirit resides in in us he comes in at the moment of salvation so let's look at what paul says to the church at philippi (coughs) philippians chapter number two and verse 13 and paul says for it is god who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure it is god that works in you god who God the Holy Spirit. Remember the the uh, our Godhead or, or or God we call God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Spirit is He who dwells in us now that we are saved and does God's bidding. And again, to emphasize how did this take place? When did this take place? We turn to Romans chapter number 5. And we read verse 5, Romans 5, 5. And uh, Paul says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by, who? The Holy Spirit who is given to us. Holy Spirit was given to us the moment we were saved. And so we... Uh, We live by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes a difference in your life. Amen? We must rely on Him every moment. So these 84 Jews in in, uh, the book of Nehemiah chapter 10, 1 through 27, made an open commitment to obey the Word of God. They signed a covenant with one another. Jesus asked us not to be ashamed of him or his gospel. So this is why they made an open commitment in front of everyone, these 84 leaders, that they would obey the word of God. And that's why God says to us, or Jesus says to us, that he wants us to make a public commitment to Jesus as the Bible encourages us to do. I know that uh, uh, during Billy Graham's era of crusades, he would always say at the end of his 
preached the message of the gospel that they needed to come forward. And uh, I, I just said in amazement uh, some of those classics that you can watch on uh, Christian TV of the people that poured out of those stadiums down onto the baseball fields and the football fields and stood there in front of uh, Brother Graham as he led them in in the sinner's prayer and they accepted Christ openly, publicly, unashamedly. They came forward and he would urge people, don't just sit there. Come forward and make it public. Don't be ashamed. And so why would... Why would Billy Graham or why would Jesus, more importantly, say that we should make our confession of him publicly? And uh, I think that uh, if we do this publicly, it's more of a uh, lasting, well, it should be a lasting commitment regardless, but I think it makes it more real. I did what, what I was supposed to do. I came forward. I didn't do it in the corner. I didn't do it in the closet. I did it openly. And even if you do get saved at home by yourself or you get saved in a secluded place somewhere, you should openly come forward and confess that and follow Christ in believer's baptism. That is unashamedly following Christ. So in chapter 10 of Matthew, Jesus said this about about being open about your confession and, and, and your belief in Christ. Chapter 10, verse 33. But whosoever shall deny me before me and him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And of course, uh, Brother Paul says one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament, Romans 1 and 16. But I, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So I am not ashamed of the gospel. I hope you're not ashamed of the gospel. Chapter number 9, Jesus says in chapter number 9 of the book of Mark, and verse number 26, 9, 26. Luke, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 26. Thank you, sister. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 26. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words of him, shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in his own glory and, his, at, and in his fathers and the holy angels. So we certainly should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. If we deny him, he'll deny us. Secondly, so the first step in becoming a, a supernatural Christian is we walk in the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, to live a supernatural life is to be loyal to the Word of God. Be loyal to the Word of God. What did Jesus say? Uh, through Nehemiah here to the Jews in chapter 10 of Nehemiah and verse 30. And that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for ourselves or our sons. So we see that Nehemiah is reinforcing 
what the word of the book of Moses said to the Jewish people in the beginning of their relationship with, uh, with God. He said, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why is it so important that even in this day and time that we live, that we marry people who are of our like faith belief? Why is it so important? And the example is found here in Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 30. They promised not to allow their sons and daughters to be married to those that were lost or those that were not of the Jewish religion, Judaism. Why did they do that? Well, let's see what God says to us as we read from Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10. Jesus made it pretty clear to uh, those that listen to him speak concerning this matter. And he is speaking here on the subject of marriage and divorcement in Mark chapter 10. And uh, he says in verse 8, And they too, the two that's getting married, shall be one flesh. So then they are no more two, but one flesh. So when people get married, my wife can sign my name and I can sign my wife's name. We are one. We're no no longer really two individuals. We become one in the eyes of God. Now if we marry someone that is not a Christian, we still physically are one, but in, in Christ we're not one. And there is sort of a, a, uh, a division there in the marriage. So it's so important, Christian young people, those who are sitting here today not married or thinking about getting married again, that we marry within our Christian faith. Now why did Paul uh, say this? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses that I learned many, many years ago in our church here at Stryker Bible Church. It was taught to us by our Sunday school teachers, by our youth teachers. Uh, It was taught very uh, distinctly to us. I can remember uh, Mrs. Beach and... uh, uh, Mr. Beach, warning us, more or less, that we as Christian young people should not be engaged in relationships with lost people as far as we were uh, getting serious about marrying. Why? What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? All right, and I'm supposed to be in verse... Second, I'm, I'm reading first one. Let's read the second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. But that's a good one, but that's a good one yes. Yeah. Be not an, an, uh, here it is. Verse number 
chapter number 6 and verse number 14 of 2 Corinthians. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And as I became more uh, involved in ministry in this church and then over to the Mountaineer Church, uh, I noticed in the youth groups that young ladies drew young men to the church. But many times young men that were drawn were not saved. And so this was one of the topics that I can remember emphasizing to the young people that they, it's great that you're bringing lost people to the church, but make sure that they get saved before you decide you're going to marry them. Now, uh, I think the example is even greater when we go back to the Old Testament and we understand uh, God's point of view in Deuteronomy chapter number 7 concerning the Jews and that they were monotheistic. They believed in one God, Jehovah. We translate that into Jesus. And uh, they were warned by God. It was a commandment, chapter 7, verse thir- uh, 3. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Who's them? And he's talking about the seven heathen tribes that were polytheistic, meaning they believed in the multiple gods. Uh, and he says in uh, verse 1 there, he says, Do not marry your children or your Sons marry into these heathen nations. Why? And he says, Thy daughter shall not thou give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou give or take unto thy sons. Why? For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. Ooh, man, that's some hard words there from God. I think he meant business. What do you all think? Yep. Don't be, don't marry someone that is not of like faith because they will turn your heart from coming to Sunday school. They will turn your heart from coming to evening service, Wednesday service. They will turn your heart to start missing church altogether and going with them on whatever they do on Sunday. Whatever they want you to do that's not right and godly and good. If they are a drinker, they will obviously want to bring their drinks into your home and put them in your refrigerator and... If you're a Christian, you certainly don't want to be around that or be participating in in those kind of things because that makes your testimony look pretty sorry if uh, you are a saved person and participating in in, uh, those kind of things and you don't want to uh, have your testimony mired. And so God says, if, 
If you're dating someone that's not saved, you better get them saved. And if you don't get them saved, don't go down the aisle with them because you're making a big mistake. And I can literally say, standing here today, that I can name personal people who have not done this and they have ended up out of church, uh, not serving God, and pretty miserable. Pretty miserable. Going on, number five. What? If you are already married to an unbeliever, what should be a believe what should a believer do in this case? Let's turn to Peter's advice. First Peter chapter number three. First Peter chapter number three and verses one and two. First Peter chapter number three verses one and two. In the same manner, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, in other words, they're not saved, they may without the word be won by the believer or the behavior of the wives. While they both behold your chaste conduct coupled with fear. In other words, he is saying, Peter is saying, if you're married to a lost man or to a lost woman and you're a Christian, your behavior, your your letting Christ live through you should be a beacon of Hope to that person that they will see Christ in you so strongly that they will desire Christ. And so we go on to the third way to become supernatural. The first way, walk in the law or word of God. The second way, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And may I also say this. It's not just marriage. If we are a businessman or woman and we get involved with a non-Christian business person and they want to do things like sidestepping t- paying taxes or in, they want to take a different uh, route of uh, upping the prices on their products and and overcharging people and to just be greedy and you are part of that is a bad reflection and so uh, as people going into business or going into some sort of an agreement with another party if they're not saved you may be dabbling with something that will cause your Christian testimony to be marred and so let us all think and pray about those things that we get involved with with other people that we are in uh, communion with with godly people. All right, number six, the third way. The Jews aspired to live supernaturally by chapter number 10, verse 31. What did they aspire to do? And if the people of the land bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day. And they would forego 
the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. And so we see the keeping of the Sabbath day. Now, right off the bat, everybody is thinking, we are no longer under the law. Amen. Thank God we're not. But, as the Jews in Galatians chapter 4, Paul says the Jewish people were an example or they were the schoolmaster to the Christian belief. As we look at what the Jews were told to do, though we are as people under grace not obligated for Christ kept the law for us and hung on the cross and Colossians says that the Ten Commandments could have been hung or nailed to His cross because He kept them for us. So I understand that. We are not under the law of Moses. Yet the law of Moses is a great way to see how the Jews live and how we ought to follow their example. Again, we're not obligated to the law, but we should allow it to be a, a mentor to us. What am I saying then? Today is not the Sabbath day. Jewish people observe the Sabbath day on Saturday, the last day of the week. We Christians, because Christ resurrected on the first day of the week, we say this is the first day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. And it is a day that God has given to us to worship Him. And unfortunately, a lot of people do not take it as a worship day. They take it as a fun day instead of Sunday. And uh, they play a lot of games and go a lot of places and do a lot of things that absolutely has no bearing on God. And therefore, they have disregarded, uh, to me, the principles of the law. In, In other words... This is a day that God has set forth for everyone to worship Him and for everyone to rest. Everyone needs a day to rest. And what has the devil done? He has speeded up our society in such a way that people have become so greedy that they have three shifts of work every all seven days. Uh, the, the day shift, the evening shift, the night shift, and let's get as much done as we can. And they never stop their machinery. and They never uh, close their doors of their, their stores. And, and it's a greed thing. And people, to make a living in this world, you've got to have a job. And many times, people have to work on those days that God would rather you be at rest and rather God would rather you be here worshiping him or at least on a Sunday uh, either morning or evening try to come and get give him some of your time I mean he gave us 168 days this week to live to live and do what we want to do surely we could give him an hour and a half on Sunday morning and 
If you really can, you ought to come Sunday night or Wednesday night and any other time that there's something going on because the church is neglected today by Christians themselves. We shoot ourselves in the foot. So anyway, the Jews aspired to be supernatural by keeping the Sabbath day. Notice Genesis chapter 2. God sets an example that people need a day of rest. Chapter 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all the work which He had done. He surely did some work, didn't He? Now let's go to Exodus chapter 20. And that ought to automatically, in your mind, ring a bell. That's where the Ten Commandments are found. Now I want you to notice something about this commandment. This commandment is a short commandment. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But it is the longest commandment in verses. Notice that. 8, 9, 10, 11. There are four verses set aside to emphasize the Sabbath day. Let us read them. Six days thou shalt labor and do thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. It is thou, it is thou shalt not do work in it. Thou shalt not do work. Thou shalt uh, thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy uh, manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy, the stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in, in, is, uh, in them is, rested the seventh day. Therefore God blessed the Sabbath, the Sabbath day and hallowed it. But today that does not seem to be the attitude of most people. Uh, let's go to what Jesus said in uh, Mark chapter 2. Matthew, Mark chapter 2. And verse number 27. 227. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Jesus says, Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So God, He gave us the Sabbath day for us, to benefit us, uh, and to rest on that day, to give your body the re juveniling that it needs to to give yourself a time to just sort of think about things to come to God's house and to worship him now am I trying to put you all under the law no for by grace are we saved through faith that not of ourselves it's the gift of God, not of works. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by coming to church. But it is highly suggested all through the New Testament that we should come to church and that we should want to come to church. It should not be, thou shalt come to church. It ought to be, as David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. 
And that's the way I've always looked at it. As a little boy at my mom mama's house where I live right now, on Sunday mornings, get up and go down and stand on the bridge and can't wait till Chester Pridemore in his turtle car slowly came and picked us up and brought us down here to have fun learning about the Word of God. Now that's the way my attitude has always been about going to church. And a lot of people go, oh, do I have to get up and go, are you saved? That's my question. If you don't want to come, are you saved? Is there something wrong in your life spiritually? Because we ought to want to come and hear the Word of God. Man, if for no other reason, come and see me. I'm happy. I like to have a good time. Well, anyway... Lastly, the fourth way that the Jews were able to live a natural, spiritually natural life, a supernatural life, was they were willing to give to the Lord. Lastly, to live a supernatural life, natural life of the Lord, one must be willing to, let's look at chapter 10. Now, I, I decided I was not going to read all these verses, cause, but I'm going to read verse 32 to start it out. Also, we made an ordinance for us to charge ourselves yearly with the third part of the shekel for the service of the house of of God. Now, if you want to read on down through there to verse 39, you're going to see that that's all about tithing. They gave uh, they gave uh, the first part of the of the wood offering. They gave the first part of the fruit offering. The first part of the of uh, the cattle. The first part. If you keep on going, and they even gave the dough. <laughs> Their dough. And I'm not talking about money. They gave dough. <laughs> Bread, right? They they gave all that. Now, why were they doing this? What could God use with dough? What did God want with fruit? Well, you see, the again, I've taught you this, I think, in the last 14 months. Well, I pray the Lord has taught you this in the last 14 months through me. That they were obligated. They had 12 brothers. The 12 sons of Jacob. They had 12 brothers. And one of those brothers' name was Levi. And Levi was the preachers. He was the preacher family. All the Levites served in the temple or in the the tabernacle. And they did not have to go out and farm a piece of land, can vegetables, and preserve stuff to be able to eat or raise sheep. All that was supposed to be brought to them by their other 11 brothers or the families of the 11 brothers. They were supposed to support the Levites. So the Levites were the priestly family and all the other 11 brothers' families were supposed to bring the tithe of one whatever it was that God required, we went over those things, to those people so they'd have something to eat. 
so they could continue to minister on their behalf to God. Does everybody understand that? That's why God uh, wanted all these tithes. Now today, you don't have to do that. You don't have to... You don't have to bring the preacher dough every day or, or fruit every day. Or, uh, we're all in this together. But we see that giving on the first day of the week is something that the Apostle Paul sort of suggested. Uh, so the verse 7, giving generously to the work of the Lord. And verse 8, giving is part of worship. When Brother Randy asked the ushers to come forward for the tithes and offerings, that is your time, that is my time, to give to the work of the Lord. And when did Paul say this should be done or suggested that it should be done? And of course, it's on the day that we come and worship the Lord, the first day of the week. Let us read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, let us, or let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Paul says, don't lay up money till I get there, because I might not make it. But you lay aside how God has prospered you. So if God has given you a job and you have prospered to make, let's say, $1,000 this week, then it would be by looking at the Jewish way of giving, which there are schoolmaster, and you can read that in Galatians, if they gave a tenth, then should we not be willing under grace to give as we have been prospered a tenth? We should. That's, that is God's way of showing us as Christians how we should be able to support the church and its work. And so we should do that on the first day of the week. So a tenth of a thousand would be a hundred dollars. You got 900 to do with what you want. God just simply asks you to give that which the Jews were obligated to give, but we can give it freely, even more so if you so desire. So Jesus spoke more of money than any other subject. Did you know that? Go through there and count how many times Jesus spoke about money. He taught that believers should tithe without neglecting the more important matters of the law. But Jesus, the reason that this verse is given, let's turn to Matthew chapter 23, the reason that we're given this verse, notice here, says, Well unto you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, that you pay tithe of mint and cumin, and have omitted the heavier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought to have been done and not to leave the other undone. So Jesus recognized, the point is this, Jesus recognized that tithing was, it was Bible, it was Christian. 
but he was pointing to them and saying, you're tithing, that's good, you're keeping the law, but you have neglected being merciful and having faith, these you should not have neglected. So the point is, Jesus recognized that tithing was a part of Christian worship. And so, ladies and gentlemen, do you want to live supernaturally? Number one, what do we do? We keep in the Word, the law of God. We keep in the Bible. Number two, what do we do? We keep ourselves from being unequally yoked with people that are not saved, whether it be in marriage, a business, or whatever. Number three, what do we do? Help me. Did you learn anything today? What do we do? Number three, we keep the day, the Sunday as the day of worship. And number three, we give. If we do those four things, we are walking a supernatural life. Amen? Amen. As Brother Randy said, we have our wonderful, I think, personally, that this singing group is the best that I have ever